Episode of Mark's Madness. Very, very spectacularly <laughs> Let, special. Let's turn the chair around and talk to talk directly to the camera in this uh, 1980 sitcom. Um, <laughs> we're gonna. Um, this, this is sort of a. I don't want to say a makeup episode for last episode because it's not that. I don't think we went too terribly off track. But uh, to be completely frank, uh, I, as as what was supposed to be Mr. History Boy, did not have a good enough understanding of the revolutions of 19, 1848. And uh, even more glaringly, I did not have a good enough understanding of the actual Paris Commune itself uh, to really understand what the heck Lenin was talking about in Chapter 2 and especially what he was about to talk about in Chapter 3. So in podcast time, there has been no break here. In real world time, there was a two-week break where Nathan shoved every bit of uh, possible historical information he could about those various events into his brain and then shook it all up martini style and prayed that it all makes any kind of sense when it comes out of my mouth. And it did help me personally better understand not only chapter three, but kind of uh, it gave me a much broader context for the historical events that were that led to one, the Paris Commune, and two, that, that that informed what Marx was talking about and what Lenin was talking about at the time of this revolution. And if there's one thing materialists do, it's they recognize that the, the events around them are what dictate what happened. So yeah, um, something you know, I mean, to go on because this was a little humbling for me with how we we fly through this. So I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad that Nathan uh, had brought that up. Um, I, you know, I mean, we talked about my delving into to Marxism and and being very education focused early on and reading the theory early on. And um, when I was doing that, one of the early things I went is, oh, this Paris Commune thing. This is amazing. And I started reading. It, I was like, why didn't we study this? And then it just got deposited in there so much that I kind of I know it's one of those things that's forgotten about in history. I mean, there are especially three revolutions. I mean, there's lots of revolutions that they'll, they'll hide from you in history. There's three yeah. that are really, really completely understudied to where most people don't know they exist. Uh, and, of course, there's the, it's the Haitian, Haitian Revolution. Revolution. I was about to say, come on, Haiti, yeah. Haiti. Uh, the, the, the old school OG uh, Bolivarian Revolution. Oh. I think that one is not covered nearly enough. The, the one with actual Bolivar? Yeah, the one with Simo Bolivar. Oh, I mean, we're huge guy. supporters of the current Bolivarian Revolution, <laughs> but uh, people got to know a little more about Simon Bolivar. Um, yes, yes, yes. So, and then, uh, of course, the Paris Commune. You know, I mean, it's and, and, and really the way that ties into it. Um, see, in, in, I was talking about this a little bit with Chapter 2. I was kind of leading into this. Yes. Um, you know, Lenin saw kind of Marx's progress and his understanding of things as he goes across the, the later French revolutions. So, I mean, there's 1790. Everybody knows about that French revolution, you know, whatever. And that was a liberal revolution, very much so. But yes. Marx started seeing some things in the 1848 uh, revolution when he wrote the 18th Brumaire of Louis Bonaparte. Uh, and that's where he started getting some ideas of just this vague, like, well, we, we do have to have something where we lord over the ruling class with a proletariat. But he hadn't come up with the term, the dictatorship of the proletariat, not only the term, he hadn't come up with like concrete, like, what will this look like? But this was the first time he changed. Hey, we have some kind of plan we have to follow. Yeah. We have to become the rulers. You know, it's not everybody loves everybody. It's not just those guys are the bad guys and we have to topple them in some vague way. But, you know, anarchism tries to get there too fast. Mark started filling in the holes of like, well, how do we get there that's not too fast with the 18th Brumaire, with, with 1848? And that started becoming more concrete, more real when he saw the Paris Commune. So from a perspective of Mark's kind of 
rewriting his materialism to to flow into politics, which matched well with the way he wrote with Engels more and gave us a more complete understanding. Uh, and also just the revolution itself. It kind of bookends uh, the rule of Louis Bonaparte. Uh, and they're technically two separate revolutions, which is very important. Yeah, but they're distinctly two separate revolutions. Distinctly, we'll get to that. Yeah. But, but they're very, very closely tied together, yeah. especially with the roles of, like, the Blanquists, uh, especially... We'll get to the Blanquists. Yeah, um, so, I mean, I, there's some murmurs, and so I was starting to go on a little bit in Chapter 2 because it is very easy to get things mixed up, and, I mean, I'm tired when I record this and go off the top of my head. I might have gotten it mixed up a little bit, yeah. but there was probably a lot where it sounded like I was getting them mixed up, but I really was keeping them distinct and talking about how they tie together. Yes. And so this this will help understand a little bit more of what the Paris Commune is, and we're going to tie back to the 18th Brumaire yep. in, in places that we can clarify it without overloading you with information where you're going to get them mixed up. Yes, 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 yes. An important, important detour, and I mentioned it, I know I mentioned it during the last podcast, um, the the single best, I think, most accessible uh, way that I at least shoved all this information into my brain, um, again, Mike Duncan's Revolution podcast, the more I have delved into it, it is very good. He's ramping up. May of this year is when they start the... Uh, 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 Russian Revolution, so that I do think will be the ultimate enduring uh, test of whether or not I, I, I how I feel about him as a historian. But it, so far, I again he, he did a very fair shake to to Marx and especially the the socialists during the Paris Commune, and uh, and he's he's he was the first person I ever heard do an entire giant you know multi. 12 or 13 hour, I think, series on the Haitian Revolution. That's where I learned about the Haitian Revolution. That's where I learned Bolivarian Revolution. Um, and it's very, very well produced. And he's a he's a, he's a good historian. So yeah. um, if you want to uh, listen to someone, go listen to him. He oh, does it way better. Also, the fact that he has covered those is coincidental. I, I didn't even I, know about I Mike know. Duncan I, until Nathan brought it up two weeks ago. I was smiling when you mentioned all three of the revolutions. And I was, I've long felt those were three undercovered revolutions as I've delved into to Marxism and anti-imperialism. Uh, but I did scan to see that those were on his list of things covered. And I have listened to the first two episodes of the Paris Commune, so I don't know what I think of him uh, as a historian. But so far, he's pretty good. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Again, I think everyone kind of comes with their biases, but he's definitely. I don't. I don't think he would come out and say he's a Marxist by any stretch of the imagination. But from from a bougie historian standpoint, he, he's better than the majority I've listened to. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not. I I, I feel like he's. He's not afraid to use the word authoritarian, which is a little concerning. Yeah. But he's not like yeah. he's not like super afraid of you know, he's it doesn't sound like he's gonna turn around the next sentence and go, Well, socialism is what really happens in Sweden and no one likes Stalinism. Oh no no no, no yeah. So, so he doesn't far, sound like that kind of guy. We'll see, again, I, Russian I think Revolution, it's gonna get t- it's gonna get hairy. <laughs> right. I think he's just a straight up historian. And honestly, while there are a lot of historians that are not Marxist, and there are certainly very right wing historians that, that get paid buco bucks to, to get a lot of coverage because that looks good for the ruling class. The majority of historians, uh, even from, a, and they try to be unbiased, but they, they're very aware that they have their biases and they're kind yeah. of unafraid of it. They tell you, history's narrative, there's going to be biases. You know, this is where I come from. But most of them, and, and, and most of them are going to have a philosophy, but even the ones that aren't openly uh, Marxist, maybe, you know, don't yearn uh, for, you know, things like, oh, I, w- I wish I had the Soviet Union back or something like that very openly. Uh, they still tend to give answers and histories that are, I mean, very much materialistic. And generally, when you look at history objectively, uh, it, 
or as objectively as historian will, I mean, they'll tell you there's no yeah. objective history, but as objective as a historian will, most historians kind of come to the conclusion that the Soviet Union was very good, at least for the people <laughs> there, and at least as far as against imperialism. Imperialism is very bad and very real, the way Marxists say it, and America is a huge pile of evil shit. Yeah. Uh, they, th- I mean, that's just basically uniform, not... Uh, again, by not by no. any means 100%, but uniform by the bulk of historians who probably wouldn't call themselves Marxist. No. So uh, a real, you know, true, in-the-cloth historian is, is probably going to be a good source. I think I'm going to like that and it podcast. Is, and it is very cool because if there's one, he does... Uh, and again, you can skip some. The American Revolution one, you can just go ahead. There's a very fun part where he goes on Gen- Gentleman Johnny's party train through Saratoga, and that's <laughs> delightful if you want to dunk on British people for a while. Um, but uh, you can skip, skip English Civil Wars, kind of uh, the the American Revolution. You can dunk, but he the the cool one is that he does not in order, so you have to kind of string them together. But you could go the French, the original OG French Revolution, 1787 or 17. 17- to 1792, wherever that one lies, um, into does, does he not take it all the way to 1801? He takes it. He takes it to Napoleon. It's the okay. longest one. It's like 60 something. It, it literally will take up like three months of your life. Okay. Um, it's good, but he takes it right to Napoleon. Yeah. Right to to Bonaparte. Um, yeah. There tends to be a, it, not to take away from the the OG Bolivarian Revolution. No. Uh, but whether you're counting Haiti because France is it's the OG French Revolution was was and we keep saying. It is. There's so many of the damn things. I know, but we're used to using that joke term jokingly about original. <laughs> and we uh, kind of overuse that joke. Yeah. But the original, the uh, the French Revolution of seventeen, you know, ninety, um, has a shit ton to do with Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um, Paris Commune has uh, French revolutions. I noticed whether whether it's Haiti or France itself tend to be really complex compared to other revolutions. Uh-huh. They tend to have m- more moving parts, and it's, it's very fun. And I think this is the great. We don't talk about great man theory, but you want to. It's so if you can listen, if you listen to all of them, it's really interesting to watch the rise and fall of so many of these guys will carry over from. One, re- I mean, Talleyrand, for Christ's sake, went from went, went through all three of them, like the original <laughs> French Revolution through through the uh, revolutions of eighteen forty eight, through the Second Empire, all, through the Paris Commune. Like he he just handed it out for all of them, and, and Duncan covers all of them, and so it's interesting to watch guys who were the heroes of one revolution. Well, again, eighteen forty eight into the Paris Commune is the best example. The, the heroes of the Revolution of eighteen forty eight are the villains of the Paris Commune. Like, it flips on a dime. Oh, yeah. And it's very interesting because they all tend to have one thing in common, and we're going to get to that as we go here. Um, But the the interesting part, and this is, again, what Marx, Marx and Lenin both point out, is 1848 is the first series of revolutions, and this is wildly called... Um, uh, the Spring of Nations, People's Spring, Springtime of the Peoples. Mm-hmm. Um, this was like the pre-Arab Spring when everyone talked about that. Yeah, this is I've what got they some were, feelings there. Yeah, oh, we all do. But this is what they were referring to. Like <laughs> when we put the word "gate" at the end of all scandals, like calling Arab Spring Arab Spring is a is a very obtuse historical reference to this. It's it's a it's a common common thing. Again, a lot of people spontaneously it seems like rise up in a in a People's Revolution all at one time, all in the same time period. Fun fun. Mm-hmm. Our major players, people that were involved in this revolution from a country standpoint. Again, I am going to try and 10,000 feet this and not get into the nitty-gritty. Duncan does that better than I will. Um, France, the German states, which are not unified, and that's the whole point no, of it. Oh, yeah. The Austrian Empire, which is unified. Uh, the Kingdom of Hungary, which is a thing. All the Italian states, because there's like 100 of them. Uh, and then Denmark, Wallachia, and Poland. But we don't really get to Denmark, Wallachia, and Poland all that much. Mm-hmm. Um 
what was the outcome of these revolutions? Almost no political change. So, spoiler alert, guys, almost nothing changes. Um, but there was significant social and cultural change, and that's what was really, I think, interesting about these revolutions. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, these didn't... I think the reason these don't get studied quite as much is because from a historian standpoint or from a, from a fun, great man of history, you don't get a... And then this person was now the ruler, and everything was different, and we moved on to a new chapter of history. No, a bunch of working upper upper bourgeois down to what was becoming the burgeoning proletariat rose up to try and change their form of government which is what every his every revolution in history to this point was all a matter of hey you've got the keys to the car i would like the keys to the car please give me those keys had nothing to do with changing the underlying power structures or anything like that it was simply a matter of we want to be the ones in charge of the state. We, we don't give a shit about that. We just want to be, we, we're tired of being the ones that don't have all the power. We'd like all the power, please. So you're having monarchies, which are your big boogaboos, getting overthrown by the people. Now, the people all tend to have one uniform character about them. Um, in the French Revolution, in these revo all the revolutions of 1848, um, for the most part, again, this is wild overgeneralization, but it, it, from a Marxist standpoint, it's important to see this. Um... You had upper middle class artisans, petty bourgeois by the educated professionals, yeah. lawyers, doctors, mm -hmm. businessmen, shop owners, people who were educated, understood, wanted to be, wanted to play in politics. They super wanted their version of 1848 West Wing. They really, really wanted to be the ones that got to play. Um, and they were mad because by the rules that were set up, they didn't get to play. They weren't allowed to be involved. They weren't allowed to be a delegate. They didn't have representative governments. They didn't get to be. They didn't get to show up to their fun, fun caucus meetings and pretend like they were ruling over other people. They wanted to show how smart they were. And gosh darn it, we should be able to play. And why should the unelected man who says he talks to God and that's why he gets to be king get to be king? That sounds silly. That at the time. Seems like a pretty liberal thing. They seem like the good guys, quote unquote. The problem is, is that every single one of them, you see it with the original French Revolution. Once they got power, did they actually under, did they, nope. did they make them? No. And that was also because there was no real, you didn't have a, as Marx viewed it, you didn't have a proletariat at this point yet. It didn't really exist. You had peasants and you had working class, you had artisans and guilds. And then you had your lords and your upper class and your masters. This was not a system that Marxism could work within. And Marx wasn't talking about it in this context. But once you get to 1848, this is the first time that you have two. Because now you have distinct groups of people. And there were two. There were groups that wanted to overthrow the political climate. And they wanted to be in charge. They wanted represent almost uniformly. They wanted representative democracies. They wanted uh, universal male suffrage was considered like the pinnacle. Like if you were mm -hmm. super liberal, that's what you went for. Um, was that all do all white dudes got to vote, whether you own property or not, you got to vote kind of a thing. That was the hyper liberal end of that spectrum. Um, that was the Bernies. Exactly. That was their version of the, that was their that was the Bernies of these. Um, but you you then also had for the first time because again, guess who's writing around this time, guys. Who's agitating a little? Oh, oh, it's our friend Carl. Yeah. Guys, Carl makes a comeback. Weird, weird, it's, yeah. It's, it's Carl and, and Fred. Um, they're here to party. The, the, manif the Communist Manifesto had been published for the first time in February of 1848. February 21st of 1848. So this is starting to make its way into the people. And you had large groups of people, 
especially in France. Now, again, this took out everywhere. In Germany, the main motivating factor was the groups that wanted to unify Germany into one unified state, because right now they are like 18 different duchies and provinces, and no one really liked that all that much, mm-hmm. except the guys that run the duchies and, and provinces. And there's a very distinct south and north in those Holy states, cow, right? yes. And then you have Italy, which was a clusterfuck. It's the Pope <laughs> and then 85 different, like, Venice and Naples and, and the kingdoms. Of, oh, they were all kingdoms, and they all thought they were important. You had the kingdom of the two Sicilies, which go fuck yourself. You don't need two of them. There's so much of this shit. Um, we, we, we don't really care all that much. I think, I can't remember where I heard it, but someone basically was mentioning accurately uh, Sicily, like, the idea of Sicily being this place for all the good Italian food to come from is absurd. They were obviously a product of the Marshall Plan yeah. because that place is a fucking death rock in the oh. ocean. Oh, yeah. No, it's, well, it's, in the sea, whatever. I can't. Mediterranean, Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's hell. It's not, Why it's, am I the one that's struggling with geography? What the fuck? No, 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 no. We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> but it was... It, so, again, now you've got these two... And, and the people, the, the our, our bougie liberals, want nothing to do with this with this group of, uh, of, the, of especially the workers who were like, no, 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 guys. This is not. There is a social question and there's a political question. And you had groups that were very heavily dedicated to we're going to solve the political question. We're getting rid of the king. We're getting rid of the czar. We're getting we're getting rid of the the, the tripartite collective monarchs of Naples. It, God damn, I hate Italian unification so much. Um, but it, it. And then you had another group of people that were dedicated, dedicated to to the social issues, and they wanted to. And that's where you get. Um, uh, Louis Blanc mm-hmm. is involved in this. Uh, uh, he's he's one of the early. He, he's very early on in the 1848 portion of this. He he comes into his own throughout this and into 41. Yeah, there's radical changes in in Louis Blanc and the Blancis that follow him and how they feel. It's real interesting how there's radical changes once those guys got the actual power when they were yeah. agitating. They were very 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 liberal, and then once they got the reins. They really don't want to break it up. They liked what they had. They like, oh, okay, no, this is cool. We can run this. We can go from here. And that's what you see throughout almost all of 1848 is you had uprisings that would kind of all of, because it happened so quickly. Like we're talking, again, days. We're talking over like a, over a couple months. Mm-hmm. You, three different major, re- it would be the equivalent of again, all Europe. If all of Europe right now just said, fuck it, flip the tables. And every one of them had a, had, had what's going on in Paris right now. That would be the equivalent of this, only, and it's probably going to end the same way with all of them getting slaughtered and nothing really changing. But that's fun. That's okay. Um, in the spring of 48, everyone kind of pushed forward, and you got your your bougie liberals overthrew their various guys or got concessions. Most of the time, it was they're getting concessions from their monarch. Hey, yeah, okay, we'll give you a representative democracy. Now, we can dissolve it at any time, and it's really kind of pointless, but it'll let you feel like you get to play. You can go play your, your little pretends and uh, have your tea party and, and call it a day. Um... And then there were some that got very, very, especially in uh, in Austria and Hungary, um, there were some definite, you had distinct cultural groups that were rising up. And this is where that whole fun, kind of first national, ooh, we're a people, we're all the same, we have a flag now, guys, it's a flag, we like our flags. Um, and, of course, that obviously came out of Napoleon and turning France into one unified monster fighting machine for France. Um, but, but we kept going and we kept going. And the, the big takeaway, the setup for the commune that is important is that all of this kind of got squashed. <laughs> is it rose up and very quickly by so it starts in the spring of forty eight. By the fall of forty eight, the counter revolution is full and like all of the forces go uh uh-uh, uh and you get your fun your Metternichs and your 
Uh, oh God, what is this? Ah, it doesn't matter. It's a Hungarian guy that comes in, but he, I, I love Hungarian people. I love you. Your your history is very interesting and underrepresented. I do not have time for it right now. Just don't. None of us do. Again, Duncan gives you plenty of run on revolutions. At. Go. There's hours of it. I just, I don't. I don't have time for you. Um, but in France, especially, because because France is the is the test case here because it, they had gone through mm-hmm. in this long period of time, 1790, the the, the French Revolution. The quote-unquote, in parentheses, big F, big R. Um, then they had Napoleon. So you have wild flings, wild swings within people's lifetimes, which is important. It's it's a, People are alive for all of it, to see the front and the back. Then you have Napoleon get deposed and sent off to, to Elba. Elba? Yeah, Elba. Uh, then you had Napoleon come back, and he did it all over again. Um, and then we have Waterloo, we have him get deposed again, and then we have another monarch. Hey, this is cool. We overthrow that monarch. Now, 1848, okay, we overthrow that monarch. This is back where I was looking at Painter with big fat doe eyes when we're talking about the Bourbons versus the Orleans, because my entire history grounding for the French was <laughs> Bonaparte's versus the Bourbons. I forgot, I completely ignore the Orleans, because they don't kick in really until... They're in the French Revolution because they're the ones that vote to kill Louis the Sixteenth, and that's yeah. what officially burned like everyone fucking. They get kicked out of the family and they're ostracized forever. Um, but the the Duke d'Orléans is who becomes Louis the Eighteenth. He takes over uh, after after 1848's big victory was putting uh, uh, was getting getting him on the throne. So. This is where we run into some problems because that big group was uh, run by a guy named Adolf Thiers. And Adolf Thiers is a big old sack of shit. Um, (laughs) That's an understatement. Yeah, Adolf Adolf Thiers is a monstrous, monstrous sack of shit. Um, He starts off as a good liberal again one of our fun lawyers and then we're gonna we're gonna do the good things for the good people sorry switching sources now to get out of my very brief i told you guys we're gonna be brief if you expected deep dives into history you came to the wrong king podcast and you knew it um <laughs> but so 18 we, we jump forward to 1870 we, we get yes. through we get forward the commune started with uh france's defeat at the battle of sedan is what ah, you were Sedan is, with yes. what you were thinking of. Battle of Sedan and the Franco-Prussian yeah. War. Yeah, uh, I, and I do want to detail that a little. Please bit. go. Um, please l- give me it, a break. Holy shit! It is. It is. And again, you know, I mean, it's. It, it, we we want to strongly avoid uh, great man theory, but theory is also narrative, and sometimes these quick rundowns are going to have to sound like it because you're going to have to point to historical figures representing groups. Uh, obviously, Louis Bonaparte um, is going to be a historical figure of the France, the the Orleans, and. They're going to go over and they're going to say, you know what? We don't like how big uh, Prussia is getting with this whole German reunification thing. And uh, so we're going to go fuck up Prussia, which was really stupid because Otto von Bismarck already kind of want to fuck up France and, and had this thing laid out and was way more organized and higher technology. It was also one of those times where the, the, the Napoleon, the, the Louis Bonaparte, Napoleon III, whatever you want to call him, looked around and went, oh, fuck, they're going to. Oh, this isn't going well. They're going to overthrow me. Shit. You know. All right, guys, war, war time, war. Give yeah, war, guys. it was it was very much war was because a, he was already going to lose his. his it was his war thing. because a winning war is the only thing in that time that would salvage 
domestic unrest at home. Napoleon proved that. If you went out and campaigned and beat the shit out of some people, you could quell some domestic unrest. Like, yeah. it, was, and, it was the best cure-all back and, then. And Otto von Bismarck had, had all the cards on the table. He he basically controlled northern... Pro- well, controlled. He was like third, second or third man as the prime minister, but he was... Chancellor. Chancellor. He's... He's, he's our representative for Northern Prussia. But Northern Prussia had already worked out treaties with Southern, uh, or, yeah, with the Southern German states uh, that normally would have sided with France and hated the the, Norman, uh, the Northern German states. But they, they had already worked out a bunch of treaties. So they were like sitting there like cocked and ready to screw up Bonaparte. England, normally, as much as it hated France, would be happy to turn on a, a ballooning German power. Uh, England already had some things uh, worked out. There was some uh, some letters that had been intercepted by Otto von Bismarck uh, that were able to say, oh yeah, France is, is trying to come over and overthrow Germany and balloon its power that he was able to show England later. Uh, Italy seemed like it would be a, the next biggest besides the southern German states to uh, ally with, with France because... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that wasn't gonna happen. Italy was kind of afraid to go into things. So oh yeah, because every- Garibaldi's running around with a poncho and a freaking sombrero, <laughs> like, ah, let's go, boys. So fucking Garibaldi. So so basically everything, everything that Louis Bonaparte banked on, every single thing, was not only. Not in his favor. It wasn't just neutral. Every little detail he banked on was in Otto von Bismarck's favor to fuck him up. And uh, so he went to Sedan, and things did not go well. It did not. Uh, you don't run into a man with that pronounced a mustache and uh, and come out the other side if you don't have a game plan. Yeah. And Louis did not have a game plan. Louis was not his uh, second or his uncle's whatever. Mm-hmm. Just, just one there. Yeah, but the worst part is is that, you know, Germany was trying to grow itself, and normally when you defeat someone, you kind of kick them back on their turf. You uh, demand a bunch of, you know, money from them in some treaty. Uh, you maybe get a little bit of territory, and then life goes on. You only really gain territory if you're the aggressor that won in that territory. Uh, so Germany, you'd think, would have kicked France down and then turned the other cheek. Uh, but it didn't like how big France was getting. Um, no, it, France was a competitor. So, you know, Germany had just been through two big wars. And in it, their defense, last hundred years of France, they were kind of assholes. They were, yeah. they oh, were yeah. very much, they had reason to not want them to get uppity. Yeah, but uh, they had just been through two big wars. Uh, this was the third war of uh, what's historically called the German reunification um, wars. And uh, so, you know, for example, they just fought Austria. They didn't go down and topple Austria over it. You know, there was some Austria-Hungary machinations that happened out of that war. But, you know, Prussia didn't really go in and mess things up. Prussia was like, yeah, let's go mess up France. Yeah. (laughs) Specifically, let's go fuck Paris. Yes. So they sieged the ever-living crap out of Paris. Now, Paris was suddenly the the epicenter of a lot of European development as far as industrialization uh, outside of England. Of course. Yes, no, they they well, and it had become well, part of Louis Napoleon's or Napoleon the Third. Sorry, I get it wrong. Call him his bitch name. Uh, but part of his <laughs> his thing has been he wanted to turn Paris into this jewel. He wanted to turn he wanted to turn it into what you think of Paris in the glorified version of Paris today. The version of Paris that you're thinking of. Napoleon III created that version. That's what he mm-hmm. wanted. The wide thoroughfares. Now, the other interesting thing, and this is just a, a historical, this is just a tidbit. It's not critical, but it's important. Um, a big part of 1848, a big galvanizing, like you can see it part of 1848, those revolutions are the barricades. Yes. The barricades are an, a, a uniquely French. They existed in Vienna and in Poland. I mean, they were a big thing, but in France, the barricades were 
Huge. You, I mean, you would set up these monstrous, like, hodgepodge, garbage pile, throw your couches out. Like, you'd go to the rich part of town so that you had comfy couches to build your barricades out of sometimes. But you would build these massive, indispensable... And Paris was such a tight, very small uh, thoroughfares, very small alleyways. It would be... You could literally set up these barricades strategically where you could cut off the French, any, any resistance from coming mm-hmm. in and really being able to communicate. Lines of communication would be cut. You couldn't break through them. Give you defensible choke points. It was a huge part of what made Paris in 1848 such a huge, impossible thing for the uh, Second Empire to come in and, and break up. Mm-hmm. So Napoleon Third said, fuck all that shit, and hired a dude whose name I will not mention because I can't find it off the top of my head, but literally hired like this this version of th- this like city planner who wiped out. Paris had been historically... Everything was built on the outsides in, and at uh-huh. the center was the slums. It was where your 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 rabble lived. It was where your your unemployed lived. It was where the the the, pro, the burgeoning proletariat would live. And they said, "Fuck all that shit." Tore all that down. Tore down all of these auxiliary houses and businesses along the side, and built these wide, giant. Th- when you look at the shop, like along the Champs Elysees and uh, up the Arc de Triomphe, you, you see wide, giant things that you can march an army down. Weirdly enough, do you know what the distance that they made those thoroughfares was? The exact length of a battalion. <laughs> they made them the exact length a battalion would be able to march through, so that you wouldn't have to ever break formations to march down these streets, and you could, and it would make barricading that much harder because you had wider stuff. You couldn't build up that high. You couldn't build barricades. So they mm-hmm. specifically took away a very important part of what made Paris so defensible during its previous revolution. So. Yeah, and, and, and there was a reason for. It. I mean, they didn't want they didn't want to have to fight people in Paris. It know? was intentional too. That's the thing. Yeah. It was intentionally done by the French ruling class, the emperor at this point, uh, to make it make it harder for the French to revolt. Yeah. Um, now I, I do want to emphasize though, and please. this is a big part of the siege and why Paris did not collapse, even after those changes. There were two, still two. There had always been two major cities that could defend themselves like none other in Europe. And the other part is. All of what I was just talking about, I apologize, is about defending from within Paris. Yeah. Getting into Paris yeah. was still made incredibly difficult. Yes. And that and that's, you know, I mean, it, that is important, too. Also, I, I, I do want to emphasize, it's not like things weren't segregated very much so, too. They moved, they moved the proles and the, 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 uh, the, what they would think of as the low life and the rabble. Uh, kind of, I think it was the northwest yes. side of it. Away uh, from the city center. Away, away from, from the where city the ruling center. class worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even there was a lot of other wealthy neighborhoods. And they were on the south. They're on the other damn end of town. So they didn't have to deal with the rabble. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that'll come up important in the, in the commune, too. Um, But that said, even with all that, uh, Paris was still a very, very, very well-fortified city. There are two major cities in European history that are fortified, and their fortification stands head and shoulders above the entirety of the rest of Europe. And that's Luxembourg, which is its entirely own country for a reason these days, and Paris. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So when... Prussia, I, I keep wanting to just say Germany. It was really is, yeah. Uh, but but Prussia at the time. Yes. Um, Prussia was coming in, and they were like, "Yeah, let's let's just knock out Paris. This is this is bullshit." Pointed and, hats. Yeah, pointed hats. Pointed hats. <laughs> uh, they they surrounded the city. They starved it out. They sieged the ever living bejesus out of it. Yep. And the very, very well-fortified city was holding up, but people were, they were running out of food, there was all kinds of internal fights, and, and people were, it, people were eating rats, 
and it wasn't the poor who were eating rats. That was the rich, the rich meat yes. of the wealthy. And the rich were the first ones also to leave. Yes. That's a, and it's very important for the demographics of the commune. The the uber wealthy got out immediately. They are not going to sit there and be besieged. They're no. running to Versailles. They're they running, ran exactly to Versailles. They're going wherever the fuck they can get out. Which but, which is historically significant because Versailles had been the capital of France and it got moved to Paris. Louis XIV. Uh, yeah. Wait, Louis, yeah. By Louis the Fourteenth. So moving it back to Versailles was a big a big snub to to Parisians. Well, yeah, and that was the, during the the. The big one of the first big triggers of the original French Revolution was going to Versailles and dragging them out and forcing them to relocate back to the historical mm-hmm. capital of Paris, and they didn't want to do that for a good reason because you don't want to be surrounded by the people that want to kill you. Yeah, um, it's it's not a great thing. Um, so yeah, the the but the even not the ruling class, the just the richer richer business owners, people who had means, mm-hmm. got out because mm, I ain't gonna be sieged. No. So you had again, you have your upper middle class still. There is still a large presence of them in the city, and then you have your workers. You have the proletariat. You have your mm-hmm. your 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 strong strong base that are going to to hold out again. Historically bad conditions of this siege, like where this was intended to break them and it didn't again people eating rats and rats was the good stuff like it yeah. was not 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 good yeah um, it was it was pretty well bred <laughs> it's pretty yeah. well what you ate yeah, yeah, yeah. it was very much crumbs. not good bread not yeah. the good french bread you're thinking of no no no, no baguettes no baguettes <laughs> no um like hardtack level stuff yeah yeah it was bad so back to wherever you were going for. I'm sorry. Oh no no that was that was the the interjection I wanted to oh, get good. in there oh, good. before you moved on to your time. Moving on, yeah, moving back on. So again, yes, that siege has happened. Um, that is that is getting ready to break. So eventually that stops the the <laughs> siege. The siege pulls back. Um, where da, 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 sorry, the city yet? Yeah, come on, uprising. Paris. We're gonna probably edit this out. Hit a bookmark. Okay. Yes. So we've got, now we've got, and so again, we're going to be doing this at very, very high level because it does not, Mark Lennon will talk about what's relevant to the book. And if you want the really, really detailed integrity history, go to Duncan. Mm -hmm. Um, But essentially they stop the siege. They, they, they back out. They start pulling back out. They have their prisoner of war. You know, we're getting a peace settlement with the, with the second uh, uh, French empire, all of that kind of fun stuff's happening. Mm. And then, the second French Empire gets kind of uppity because the people of Paris during the siege had been promised a lot of stuff to keep them, you know, holding out during the siege because they are the front line keeping the big, bad, angry German man from coming and murdering all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you told the people of Paris, hey, guys, don't worry about rent. Not a big deal. Uh, don't pay us rent right now. You're getting besieged. Kind of seems like a common sense thing you do. Yeah. Um. They 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 relaxed a lot of rule, a lot of feudal dues, things like all the little bullshit things, so that these people had had this kind of fighting spirit to want to keep going, and you're not trying to break them by tapping them on the shoulder, going, "Hello, rent's due." I know the shelling's <laughs> happening. I don't know why I'm British in this, but rent. Unless it's due, blah blah blah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so. You were just wanting to sound European and you speak. I really English, did, so and that's go. always British to me, and I don't know why. Yeah. Because they conquered all of it at some point or another. <laughs> um. But. During this time, you've got this this second, the 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 July the July uh, monarchy is what it was mm-hmm. called from the the eighteen forty eight uprising. Uh, Thiers running that. They're all negotiating uh, with Austria, and then they decide, hey, we really would like our money now, and so almost like universally turn back around and go, hey, uh, rents due, and hey guys, by the way, uh, so is back rent. Um, I know the siege ended like a week ago, but we we need we need money. So if mm-hmm. you want to go ahead and pay us, and France kind of and Paris kind of went, uh, no, go fuck yourselves. 
Uh, at that point, they're like, we, uh-uh, no. Uh-uh, no, breaking point, straw, camel, back, broken, we're done. And they rally together, and we're going to start as commune, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um, again, wildly broad-stroking it, but it's important. So Adolf's here, gets in, they elect their little temporary revolution. Um, Tier is running, for all intents and purposes, the French government. The, the government of national defense is what it called itself, because it was supposed to be focused first and foremost on national defense. Meanwhile, they're getting their asses handed to them by the Prussians. Um, yes. But... The, the French, the, the CPL of Paris were like, you do not represent us. That is not what we want. So we're going to go ahead and form our own uh, uh, group. Yes. The trigger event for this was... The cannons. Du- the cannons. The cannons, the cannons. So during the original siege um, that the that the French were, were standing up against, they had built, cast, at their own cost, these weren't given to them by the government... Cannons. They had built these cannons, and they were the National Guards cannons. One of the armies. This was of Paris. This was our defense. This is us as a community rising up and and fighting back. Ah. And the fucking French government decided we should probably go in and take those from them so that they can't fight us with them. And they did it in the most again. The they most, tripped over their dick again. The, so much dick tripping. If they just wouldn't have done it or had done it better. This wouldn't have happened. But no, 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 no. They, they effed it up right and proper. They, and they showed up, and then we get a, a, a little uh, what's-his-face with the bells and the, 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 the British are coming, that guy, Revere. You get a Revere situation where they all go, hey, guys, they're trying to take the can. They're already pissed. They're already on edge. And this was... Well, I think they were uh, holding uh, someone on trial at the time. Like, they were... Like, the Paris... The communards were busy uh, trying someone who I think they were looking at as a traitor. Yeah, and no, I'm pretty sure, so yeah. They're, they're pretty all organized sure. in a hall together. And then someone came rushing in like, oh, they're taking the cannons. And they're like, oh, well, fuck, let's go get let's them. Let's go get the cannons. Everybody, ta-ta. <laughs> um... And so they, that falls apart. I mean, it, it just falls apart. It goes bad. And that's when they go, okay, look, no, they are not They are not for us. This government is not in our favor. They just tried to take our damn cannons. We like those cannons. Those are our cannons. They're special. Um, fuck you. We're starting a commune. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you got to understand, you know, that meant literally taking weapons away from them. Yeah. But that also meant, like, seizing something that was very much theirs. These are the guys trying to defend us. We made our own defense. And they're saying they can't defend us so much that they're stealing our defense from us. I mean, there was there's so much deep, symbolic If the Liberty Bell had a gun attached to it, and you tried to steal that gun Liberty Bell, it'd be about the same thing. And you don't do that, because Philly fans are angry. And they'll yes. fight you. They'll fight you. Um... So now we have uh, the National Guard taking over. And the National Guard in France is not the fun weekend warrior National Guard that we imagine here in America. It is full-on the people's army. It is the army that has traditionally always risen up and defended Paris and defended France at times of need. Um, it had not been disarmed as part of the armistice with the, uh, the Prussians, which is a weird little loophole. Basically, they disarmed the whole army. But the National Guard, they, they didn't include them. Like, they were, they were just not there. Yeah. Um, which worked out for the Communards, because, hey, now we've got a fighting force. This is kind of fun. Um, they go ahead and elected a leader um, of the Central Committee. Oh, who did we elect? What was his name? Aurel, the Paladins. Pointed by Tier. No, they were military governor of Paris. Yeah. Oh, and and another point. It's funny because I mentioned him. Garibaldi shows back up because they tried to elect Garibaldi, um, but he was off again trying to reunify Italy with the poncho and the sombrero and the the (laughs) let's go. Um, So it was was getting pretty bad. Um, But they eventually got to the point where they they had a, the first decentralized, quote-unquote, socialist state. 
Um, and they had they were coming up with on the fly, like boom, 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 as quick as they could, very, very real and practical ways to run a state. Uh, big one. I mean, you're you're making sure that the and again we'll get to this. We're, we'll we'll wait for that because Lennon details it in the sure. Paris Commune, which we're about to get to. Um, but there were some very very important factions here. There are your actual what you would call socialists, part the members of the International Workers Organization. They mm-hmm. they were the the actual socialists. They were a very small minority. There were like three of them. Yeah. Um, in the actual commune leadership, there were like three of them. Um, then you had a a mix in of of Jackmans. And uh, old old guard from the original French Revolution uh, and, and what, Republicans. What, yeah, I was going to say what people uh, may not be familiar with as, as Jackmans were the Republicans, the 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 people that wanted the liberal France. Yes, basically. your bougie liberal lawyers and doctors and, and smart people that wanted to play West Wing. They're over yes. there. Then you have the Blancists. Yes. Now Blancists were very much, very much into socialism, and they were very much uh, revolutionaries, but they didn't really think about having a plan once they got power, uh, it's also, hard to not think of them as opportunists. They also actively hated the people and thought that it should be, like, Blanqui himself, like, detested the idea that workers would rise up themselves. He thought it should literally be led by, like, a small vanguard of, like, a hundred people, and then the rest of them should just follow his direction. Like, he det- he was the most pretentious <laughs> Oh, I want the I want. He was we're rising he, up for the people, and then if a, if an actual like he met an actual worker, he'd be like, "Oh, peasant, get away!" Eh. <laughs> like it just it, it's such a bad. Oh, he's, so bad. He's he's what the uh, the anti communist quote unquote communists yeah. uh, tell you Lenin was. That yeah. Was like, oh my God. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Um, so fuck. Uh, is no, no. He's again in this time frame. They're considered hyper revolutionary, yeah. because they are compared to what they're working with. Compared well, to and what he was a he. I mean, not just him, because again, you know, but that whole group was a big part of 1848 and 1871. Exactly. And then you have what between me and David will probably be an interesting contention. Uh, you had the Podonists, <laughs> um, and we've guys, we've talked, and I'm sure anarchism has changed since Pudon and the Commune. But just knowing my little path that I'm taking here, this is the first time I've really encountered them in the real world, is the Paris Commune. And God damn it, Pudonists! <laughs> God damn you! God damn you, you got so many people killed, you idealist bastards! God damn you! Um, <laughs> it's just so bad. It's just so bad. They were a huge part, they were a very big... And they were a driving force. They were kind of like the moral compass of the of the commune for a lot of this. They were the ones trying to keep it pure, trying to keep it it, it it was utopian. It was just pure utopianism. They were the they were the 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 light at the end of the tunnel if we just if we just ignore the government and don't give them the power. If we just if they're like a screaming toddler in the corner and we just don't pay attention to them, eventually they'll leave us alone. That was literally their strategy. It's, it's written down. They talked about it. I'm not making this up. That was their thought, is that if you just ignore the state, you can't have a state. So we, if you, you, you definitely can't have... We're not going to have any authority during the... Just, just ignore the Nazis. Just ignore them, and they will go away. Not, 
ignore them and they'll get all the cannons and tap Bismarck on the shoulder and come murder us all because of course they're gonna do that. They do it during every revolution. They just did it during 1848. Are you guys blind? How did you think this? So again, I'm pretty sure Perdon himself is French too, which is why they were so good He is. He is. That's why Perdon. It's, it's so That's why they're so, so prominent. Yeah. It's God. It's just so. Bad. Again, that is, and that is the biggest, so so there was a couple there, so again, you have a lot of internal tensions in the commune. Um, we're going to get to the very end. Um, you had this, they, they, they did a lot of good things, so we're going to detail during Lenin's, Lenin's Paris commune, but you've got kind of the uplar, uh, the, the the context, they, they, they were trying to form this commune. Um, they had formed a government. They had, France had basically succeeded. They had raised the red flag of revolution. They were going to run themselves. They came up with a very overnight, form of government that I think probably surpasses 80% of governments I've ever heard of in my life, mm -hmm. like on the fly under siege. They came up with a really, really well-structured uh, system, but there was a lot of tension. There was tension between, okay, what do we do now? Are we, are we going to try and set up a little government and, and be our own country? We're our own thing now. Uh, do we march on Versailles and try and take over the actual country and take out the leadership? Mm -hmm. Um, do we have a state at all, or do we just go complete collectivism and we do we do all of this? Um, and the biggest, probably, well, I'm going to say it's the biggest error, biggest <clears throat> of the entire thing was, hey, what do we do with the Bank of France? Because it's sitting in our parking lot. Ooh. Um. Hey guys, That's I don't a know. Pretty if... big error. I, I I don't know if I put that above not marching on Versailles. Oh, I do. I do, and I'll get. To, we'll get to why, but we'll 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 go there. So 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 there it is. So the two big errors, and again, Marx points out. Marx, I think, distinctly says that the biggest error is not marching on Versailles. Yeah. Um. That they did not. They they kind of hold up and went into turtle mode. And I don't know if you've ever played any real time strategy games, guys, but you don't turtle when the other guy has the entire world's army coming down your neck because this is where you see that. Uh, the whole nationalism thing's kind of bullshit at the end of the day because uh, the armies that were just fighting, you've got Thiers and, and Bismarck who were literally just at war like two minutes ago. Literally like two minutes ago. Go, and Thiers going, hey, hey, Bismarck, can I have all those POWs back so I can go kill all of my own people because they're threatening this whole bougie ruling class thing that we're doing mm -hmm. here? And Bismarck's like, absolutely, dude. Here you go. Have them all back. No big deal. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, Tier and Bismarck, and again, we're, we're taking these down to people, but I'm going to take this down to people for the, for the analogy. We, can, we don't have to. We, French government goes to German government and says, can we have our soldiers back so we can go murder some of our own people, please? Okay, well, whichever way you want to present it, the, <laughs> the easier to narrate... Uh, but you should avoid the ideology of great man or or the, the actual hands-on group. Uh, it's like either you can say Democrats or Republicans or Trumps and Clintons. You know, yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's really what it is. Uh, except right now, slaughtering fucking Paris. You know? Yeah, a lot of Paris. A lot of Paris getting slaughtered. Um, so, Bismarck. So, so, again, they were, they were, they turtled. The, the obvious bad happens. There is a wild, I am not going to get into the actual numbers um, because mm -hmm. those numbers are literally inscrutable they are not every there are 18 different sides there are some that have it up in a hundred thousand there are some that have it as eight thousand and every other number in between and no one can assign a source into who how many people actually died long story short a, a lot of a lot of people and there was got, a lot i mean we we're talking like lining up people and shooting them against walls. indiscriminately, indiscriminately. again a, a group of people that took out that that again the the commune specifically took out and burned the guillotines in yeah. the streets to, to say, we will not have the death penalty. We do not care if that's what these people are going to do to us. We're not going to do it to them. So they, and he captured 
Um, they didn't mind slaughtering them in warfare, but they, yeah, they're not. If they were fighting, that. but if they took a POW, they were not going to line them up against the yeah, wall and no. shoot them. They weren't going to do it. That was not how they were. They 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 looked at how they looked at the reaction of of 1792 of the the committee on public safety and all of that, and they're like, we don't want that. We want to be something different. Mm-hmm. This is again. And a lot of this was the Pudonis. They were they were they were taking a stand and saying, "No, we don't want that. We we're not trying to associate with this." Yeah, which of- I I can't. I think it was Marx's um, on the French Revolution of eighteen seven or something like that. His, on his, the French Civil War. On the French Civil War, and it was the the biggest his biggest writing into the the Paris Commune. When yes. when people say like Marx on the Paris Commune, that's usually it's what the they French mean. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the French Revolution. Um, and I think that one Marx had. I'm okay. trying to think of the line where he was talking about rivers of blood. Uh, ran under the property that had been so uh, yeah. clo- held close to the heart by the bourgeoisie. And, yeah, uh, man, I need to find that line. It's, and we'll, line. I, we may be getting it. Oh, I don't know. We probably won't be. Um, but again, that's... So they all get slaughtered. Uh, the French tier and them come in and take it back. Mm-hmm. And then eventually that whole... You know, that kind of doesn't bode well. You get into the World Wars, all of that. But that doesn't... It's over. The commune died uh, there. Mm-hmm. But it is really, really... Really important because again, this is the proto revolution. This is the first the the Paris Commune was the first proletarian revolution. Mm-hmm. Every other one up to that point had been handing keys over for the car from one to another, not changing fundamentally what it was doing, not changing anything like that. And the Paris Commune said, No, we're going to burn this all to the, the it's the structure itself that's rotten. We're burning all of that to the ground. We're doing it on the basis of class consciousness. And we're going to find a new way to restructure society that's more equitable mm-hmm. and that's more in line with what we want. Mm-hmm. And this is where... So again, when people... It, it perfectly embodies that anarchists are genuine, uh, relatively smart compared to like social democrats, but pretty dumb. Na- I guess naive, short-sighted. Na- genuine revolutionaries, committed revolution. Those are the good people. And if... That you can't tell, you can't let let tell you let's slow down and make these dumb decisions. Don't let utopianism get in the way of mm-hmm. what you actually need to do because no. But at the end of but the every day, but but they're genuine. At the end of the day, the counter revolutionaries will not be utopian. They will no. do what they're not going to play by any rules. They're not going to do. They're going to do whatever they got to get to do to get their power back. Know who your enemy is and who you're playing against. And again, and most importantly, it's not that they're not utopian. It's that they're not going to be what's expected out of your utopia. No. So this is, that is the outline. Now, again, we're, we, we, quick divergence. You believe that not marching on Versailles was the biggest error. Ew. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm not. You're in line with Marx here, so I'm not going to say you're wrong. <laughs> I'm, also, I'm also not going to say uh, that the bank is not clearly head and shoulders above other errors, mm-hmm. and those are not the big two. Those, I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. And I'm not sure the order matters so much. It, well, and here's why I say the order did matter. Okay. Because w- there were two options facing the commune arts. They had the Bank of France, which had the collected wealth mm-hmm. of France. Yes. The ruling class, the upper class, everyone. You had all of their hard currency sitting in your in your pocket. You could mm-hmm. you could appropriate it. As you want. You could literally get to the end of capital and you could start expropriating some fucking expropriators. And this is where the anarchists won a very, very clear battle and said, no, no, no. We still need to keep laws of equal exchange. We're going to just negotiate with them in good faith. And they literally took out loans 
from Thiers and the French, the, the, the July monarchy, the, the freaking government of national defense. They took loans against them to pay the communards and to keep the thing going and to buy bread. You cannot do, you can't, you, you had the option A, break it all, take all their money, completely bankrupt the, the, the structure you're fighting against and the class, like, it's the equivalent of the end of Fight Club when you blow up all the, the finance, you could have done it, and instead you went and asked them for a loan. I get it. The fuck are you doing? I get it. I get it. You you basically created the IMF against yourself and then you, begged it for money. You yeah. could have in one fell, imagine if in one fell swoop they completely just destroyed France's economy. Just yeah. broke it of its ability to do what it wanted, to negotiate anything. No one would negotiate London. They could have literally taken all of that, leveled the playing field, distributed it, and used it as their own tool of leverage. And they just pretended that they were going to be okay about it. I agree, but if you go topple Versailles, who are you begging a loan from anyway? You, you already have the bank inherently See, at the that. end of the day, I think if you top, if you do the banks, toppling Versailles becomes much easier. It's much easier to topple them when they have no money and no access to outside funds than it is to march with the National Guard against the combined forces of what's left of the French army and the Prussians who were obviously going to come fight for them. Oh, yeah. So that's why I vote not taking bank was dumb, and not taking bank was a very decidedly Podonist move. And so, fuck Podon. Fair. This is, this is not a debate podcast. No, it's on. not. No, this is, a, this is not counterfactuals. This is not alternate history. But God damn it, just take all the money, guys. You had it. You had it. And you let it go. <laughs> so, transition time. This was the history, uh, the, the very abridged drunk history. Not drunk, but it might as well have been for how scattered it is. But again, even that, I think, little scattershot there will ground you a lot better for mm -hmm. what's coming. And it show again, we had bougie revolution. The American Revolution's a bougie revolution. The French Revol original French Revolution, bourgeois revolution where you, uh, lawyers and high, upper class do it. 1848 you started to get the proletariat involved. It was mm -hmm. definitely not their revolution because none of their social matters were taken into account and the people just wanted to take the politics back. The Paris Commune is the first definitive actual time that we had a proletarian revolution. It was so important that the only edit to the Communist Manifesto that was ever made mm -hmm. was made to include the Paris Commune and what it created as the template for what we were going to do going forward. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely, in the same way that we sit back now in our little comfy chairs and can armchair critique the Soviet revolution and say, well, oh, they went wrong here. I wish I'd have done that differently. Oh, we could have done that differently. That's exactly what Lenin is kind of about to do in a work in his work on the Paris Commune and his work in chapter three. So the next episode you're going to hear is going to be all about everything that Lenin said about the Paris Commune because, believe it or not, Lenin had much more organized thoughts than I did in this last hour. Uh, and I think he deserves to be heard on the matter. Gosh darn it. Oddly enough, Lenin might be a guy you want to listen I to. I think Lenin might know what he's talking about. So after this, we are going to be referencing, uh, we're going to be going into Lenin's, Lenin's work, The Paris Commune, which is a collection of his works uh, written prior to the State and Revolution. Uh, the work was written afterwards, but we're only going to reference the parts that were before State and Rev, just for, you know, fun historical parts. There we go. Uh, so, so next time, we're actually going to talk about Lenin again. So welcome, thank you for letting me detour through uh, through dumb European history uh, and, and talk to you about the Paris Commune that made me so angry this week. Uh,